Anything that levels the playing field for independent labels and artists is a net positive for the industry. And for the last 11 years, Merlin has been one of the major levelers in the industry. Welcome to the future of what? I'm your host, Portia Sabin, president of the independent record label, Kill Rockstars. Support for the future of what comes from Merch Table. With over 15 years of experience in merchandising, screen printing, tour support, and online fulfillment, Merch Table partners with artists and labels looking to jumpstart their business. Visit merchtable.com to learn more and open a store today. On today's episode, we talk about Merlin and the $2 billion they've paid out in the last 11 years. It's all coming up on The Future of What. Support for the future of what comes from Sound Exchange. You're listening to the future of what. I'm talking to Charles Caldus of Merlin. Charles, welcome to the future of what. Thank you, Portia. Fantastic to be here. So we are talking about Merlin today and the results of the 2019 report, which was extremely exciting. You guys paid out your first billion dollars to independent labels in the first nine years of your existence and then the second billion in just the last 18 months, which is quite an accomplishment. We're, we're very excited about that. But let's get started by just doing a brief overview of what Function Merlin performs for the industry and for the independents. Yeah, of course. And I laugh not because I think $2 billion is funny. It's just so far beyond <laughs> what we ever imagined. Hearing it out loud still sounds very strange. Absolutely. Merlin was created by the global independent sector to really help them navigate what was, you know, 12 years ago, a very uncertain landscape in terms of the evolution of digital music. You know, 12 years ago, we were just seeing the emergence of YouTube and the very first streaming models. Independent labels around the world were feeling that the digital marketplace being global as it was, was particularly challenging for them because, you know, historically independents have been regional, you know, independent labels tend to be based around a scene in a particular city or in a country at the most. And dealing from that local position with a global marketplace, I think for a lot of independents felt like a very difficult and challenging path and also one that risked having the music that they produced being valued lower than what music from the major labels who are inherently global organizations were attracting in the marketplace. So really over the last 12 years, we've helped independence from an increasing number of markets around the world navigate this world of change in a number of ways in, in the early days by protecting their rights in copyright infringement cases. You know, we successfully took uh, copyright infringement actions against companies like Last FM, LimeWire, GrooveShark, and, you know, returned significant amounts of money back to our members by, you know, pursuing those infringement actions. But also, you know, really licensed what at that point were, you know, very uncertain models. Our very first deal was with a little Swedish startup called Spotify that 12 years ago no one had heard of and, and is obviously dominating the debate today. But, you know, since then, it's been not only, you know, business models like the streaming model and the subscription model, but it's about, you know, where video sits in the business. It's about how you open new markets in Latin America and China and Japan. So, you know, the, the quickest way to say it is that 
Merlin's really there to ensure that the companies we represent are doing the best possible digital business for the maximum possible return. Right. And the the great part about Merlin is that so much in our industry changes all the time anyway. But really, prior to the digital age, we didn't have this type of opportunity in the independent sector to be represented as a collective. And it's made, I think, the independent sector a true player in the music industry, which is really powerful and important. Certainly, looking back, that's one of the most satisfying things I think we can say we've achieved. You know, independents are by nature independent. (laughs) They like doing their own thing and forging their own path. But I think in this instance, creating something not only that, you know, essentially operates in a not-for-profit manner where all of the money that we make beyond what it costs to run Merlin annually goes back to the members. So it's it's an incredibly low-cost solution. But bringing all of those independents together into one basket of rights where we can represent now a set of labels that's equivalent, you know, just about to the smallest of the major labels in these negotiations means that not only do, do we have a real voice in these negotiations, but we also have an increasing amount of evidence and data that shows that the independence is thriving in the streaming and the digital space. And, it, you know, it, it has, I think, changed the game in terms of the perception of where independent music sits in the marketplace. You know, 12 years ago, talking to these big companies, I think the assumption was that, you know, independents were, you know, either bedroom musicians or general weirdos who were producing music that wasn't of interest to very many people at all. Right. But what this globalization of the streaming marketplace has shown is no matter whether your label is based in Portland or Chicago or Melbourne, Australia or Tokyo or Jakarta, Indonesia, there's an increasing number of available fans of your music out there that you're getting to much more directly. And the way that we're performing in this digital market, which I think the survey you referred to shows, means that consumers with more access to this music are, you know, actually enjoying it more, playing it more, making it part of their collections. And, you know, I think Merlin has played a, you know, significant role in helping the companies we represent navigate that. Absolutely. And especially being able to be at the same table as the three majors and make deals that, you know, we assume are similar or at least have similar features, you know, have led to things like when Merlin negotiated the Spotify deal for their independent membership, there was an equity portion because when Spotify went public, there was an equity payout which the member labels benefited from, just like the major labels did. So that was a huge difference between now and 12 years ago. Yeah, I think equity and those kind of benefits are a very handy insight into the way the market was evolving 12 years ago. You know, individually, a lot of independents knew, and it was public in some cases, that the major labels were getting equity in these new streaming services as part of the deals that they were doing. But even the biggest independent individually dealing with a global marketplace was never going to get itself into that position. Absolutely. And the fact that we were able to bring all of these, you know, rights together and be able to have those conversations, as you say, at the same table as the majors got us into that position with Spotify, which ended up, again, 12 years on being worth far more than we ever expected. But very importantly meant that the companies represented under the Merlin deal who benefited when we sold that equity weren't at a disadvantage to the majors. Absolutely. You know, I think the real concern, again, going back to the beginning of Merlin, was not only that that deals were inferior, 
the deals being offered to the independents were inferior. So if you were trying to sign a band as an independent label and were getting less money out of these digital platforms than the major labels, you were starting at a disadvantage. And secondly, if the majors had these additional benefits that were being given to them, whether equity or revenue guarantees or, you know, whatever other mechanisms underpin that deal, if you weren't part of that, again, you weren't able to offer that as an independent tier label. So that rebalancing of the marketplace and that opening of those opportunities to all artists, regardless of whether they signed to a major or an independent, I think was very much at the at the heart of Merlin and, and remains at the heart of Merlin. And, you know, I don't think it's any accident that as the streaming world has evolved, we're seeing an increasing number of very significant commercial successes come from independent labels over the, the last 12 years that Merlin's been around. Well, absolutely, because it's changed the economic possibilities for independence in a very significant way. You know, it used to be that only majors could afford to do certain things. And I feel like that value proposition has completely changed now. Yes, I think the path to market, even though it's quite a, become quite a noisy path to market, crowded with lots of tracks and lots and lots of people uploading their own music. If you think back to the pre-digital world where, you know, to, to get into Tower Records as an independent label meant you either had to have a major label distributor or you had to have some serious traction around who you were through a, another powerful distributor of some sort meant that, you know, getting your music in front of consumers wasn't in any way as easy as it is nowadays. You know, I mean, I've worked in independent distribution before I took this Merlin job. The, the catch cry was always, if only we could, you know, get this song on the radio or get someone to review it or get the record stores to stock it and play it in store, people would love this. Right. But when you had record stores with limited amounts of shelf space, we had radio stations with limited playlists and limited press outlets. Actually, even cracking through that barrier to get to the consumer was such a, a heavy lift. Whereas nowadays, you know, really, you can you can record something today, have it online tomorrow, and have a very very instant kind of feedback in terms of what you're putting into the marketplace. Absolutely, and that that democratization, I think, has been great for independence. Yes. And also the statistics that I've seen over and over show that independent music sort of over-indexes in the streaming space. Is that also true from what you've seen? Yeah, we definitely say it. And, and actually, we used to say it over-indexed. Now we're saying it actually indexing to its true <laughs> to its true value because I think the assumption, saying that something over-indexes assumes that, you know, it was performing badly and now it's performing well. Right. But, you know, realistically, I think what it shows is that the music that's put out by independent labels, you know, if it's going to connect with a consumer, it's going to connect with a consumer. That person doesn't care which label it's signed to or whether it's a major and independent. Right. You know, this is still a business about emotional connections and the fact that you can have this music in front of people and have people connect with it means that I think we're finally seeing independent music perform the way it should in the marketplace, which is, you know, front and center rather than, you know, sort of at the back and off to the side somewhere. Absolutely. So this is a question I actually don't know the answer to off the top of my head. I know that Merlin members are labels and they are distributors, but can artists also be Merlin members? The only limit to being a Merlin member and being able to participate in the deals is you have to control your own copyrights, but you also have to be able to deliver those copyrights into the marketplace, which is why we predominantly represent labels and distributors, because 
they've either built or they've bought that infrastructure that, you know, digitizes your music, delivers it onto the platforms, tracks the reporting back. You know, it's not quite as easy as just giving us the music in the way that you would to a distributor. You know, Merlin is not a distributor. We don't touch people's content. We're not adding another layer to it. Having said that, we've got an increasing number of members of Merlin, which are artist-run labels. Mm, yes. And, you know, and some of those have been around for a while, like Killian Welch's Acme label. And there's newer ones like Dim Mac, which is the label of Steve Aoki, the DJ, who's built a, you know, an increasingly exciting label off the back of his own music. So I think what I'd say to that is the nature of what we would consider historically an independent is changing. And, you know, the way the market's evolved has opened the door for a lot more different kinds of companies to participate in the market. And I think that's equally exciting just in terms of the evolution of, of, of how music's created and distributed. Oh, absolutely. And I say that all the time on this show, that it's not that artists need a label, but they need people in their lives. They need a team that does the same function as a label because a label is actually more important than ever nowadays because of the difficulty in the marketplace of, you know, bringing your music to market. It's not like it used to be. You don't just press a couple CDs and run out with your trunk of your car open yeah. and sell them to people. Yeah. I think a lot of independent labels started that way, you know, selling at shows, selling in their local stores. The market, it is much more technically complicated than that now. But I think, you know, there's so many services available to artists now. You know, I think from where I sit and looking at the Merlin membership and how it's evolved, you know, I definitely think the role that labels or, you know, people who help you perform those label-type functions are incredibly important to the development of an artist. You know, you need that guidance, that curation, that sort of second opinion, that that strategy that, that those people are great at delivering. And, you know, we can see at the top end of the market, you know, I think as a music fan, if something comes out on Ninja Tune or Warp or Rockstar, for that matter, you know, you've got some idea of what kind of music you're going to get once you sort of start following what that label does. And that, that cultural function that these labels play in terms of bringing, you know, whether it's musical genres or like-minded people or music that appeals to a particular musical taste or mindset is, as you say, in, in this crowded marketplace where so much music comes out every day, is increasingly important, I think, to help artists cut through and really find their fans. Absolutely. Well, Charles, you have done so much for the independent sector over the last <laughs> 11, 12 years as, you know, head of Merlin. But you are stepping down at the end of this year. So what's next for you? The first thing that next for me is a bit of time on a beach. <laughs> back, back, in, back in Australia, reconnecting with friends and family. But no, look, I, I think for me, and as I, I think I've said to a lot of people, moving on from Berlin for me has nothing to do with losing belief in the organization or not being excited about what it does. I just feel that in the role like mine, 12 years with all of the global travel and the constant change means that, you know, occasionally you need some fresh blood and you need a fresh perspective. You know, I feel good that the company's in great shape. We have an incredible team of executives. We have a, a growing membership. The organization's financially healthy. So I'm, I'm feeling very bright about Merlin's future. That's awesome. For me, I think I've worked in this independent sector my whole life. I can't imagine that's going to that's going to change drastically. And you know, I, th I think probably 
my instinct is that I'll end up doing something slightly smaller than Merlin, which is, <laughs> uh, given the numbers you were quoting at the beginning, probably not going to be awfully hard. Right. Yeah. But I just, you know, I'm very, I'm still very excited about the evolution of the market and where it goes. And it feels like, you know, I'd like to work with, you know, maybe closer to the ground, helping some people succeed either within their own business or across a series of businesses. But, you know, really for now, I'm focused on getting Merlin through to the end of the year, having my break, and and I'll, I'll make those difficult decisions next year, I think. Sounds great. Well, Charles Caldas, thank you so much for joining me today on The Future of What? Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Great to talk. Thank you.
That was The Deflowering of Penny by Dino Fight. If you're enjoying this program, please subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at KRSFOW and subscribe to our newsletter to find out what's coming up next. You're listening to The Future of What? I'm talking to Jorge Brea of Symphonic Distribution. Jorge, welcome to The Future of What? Hey, pleasure to be here. Big fan of you and the podcast. So it's truly an honor and a pleasure for sure. Oh, thank you. That's awesome. Today we're talking about Merlin, and we wanted to talk to you because you work for a distribution company, so you represent a lot of labels, a lot of artists. So you guys need a solution for digital distribution. So can you tell us a little bit about what brought you to Merlin and how long you've been with them and what you were doing before? Sure, yeah. So we've been with Merlin since the early 2010s. Previously, we were always working hard to to get direct deals on board of Symphonic, but we started to find challenges in terms of getting into new territories or into getting deals that were comparable to what major record labels were getting. So I was fortunate enough to meet some of the folks at Merlin and we struck a deal for a few of the DSPs. And then progressively, we started adding more DSPs just because it became a, a great convenience for us as a company to be able to work with them. Even just little things like not having to chase anyone to get you know, royalty statements or invoice folks you know, is, is a big time saver when, when you have an accounting department and so forth. So the deals have always been great and, and they've been great to us. And, you know, it just really helped expand the business from where we were at the time into these new deals and, and markets that have definitely helped us grow over the years. Yeah, I think that's something that people don't necessarily think about. But every time someone tries, you know, a company needs to do a deal with a new DSP or, you know, a Spotify or whoever, you need to pay somebody to do the negotiation. I mean, it, it becomes quite a big burden. And if you figure, you know, there's three major labels and then there's, you know, 100,000 independent labels, distributors, et cetera. So, you know, each one of those entities has to individually negotiate with Spotify, Rhapsody, whoever, you know, it really becomes kind of an overwhelming proposition. I mean, I feel like Merlin has been such a godsend for our industry that it's kind of surprising. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. You know, just even seeing what they've been doing in Asia and so forth, like those types of deals have been really helpful because, you know, trying to negotiate with those directly not only is a challenge from a distance or and a time standpoint, there's a language barrier. So for them to, you know, go into a market specifically like China that, you know, has been a little bit difficult from a piracy standpoint or even just a royalty, you know, payment standpoint and kind of standardize it and say this is how it's going to be, it really will, I think, help that entire territory really grow over the next few years. Definitely. And I think certainly like a label, a small label like mine, it's been really helpful to be able to have the example of Merlin coming back to the community every year with our annual report and showing us like which territories are actually playing our music, you know? Because that can give us a good idea of what territories we need to focus on. So it helps us with like potential business development as well. Absolutely. No, I mean, those reports are great. And I mean, just even the meetings. And, and then what's really cool about you know Merlin, similar to like A2IM, is that it's a community, right? So we're able to have really good relationships with other distributors. And it doesn't feel like we're out for each other, so to speak, you know, and and, and that, unfortunately, sometimes it does feel like that when, when you step into the ring, so to speak, with non-Merlin members, right? I think here, though, you know, being a part of it, I'm very proud and I'm very happy with the relationships that have culminated just by attending these meetings and 
meeting some of the folks and, and learning from some of their challenges as well. It's a true community. Yeah, it's definitely a community. And it also, I think, helps us sort of further this notion of, you know, growing the pie for everybody rather than everybody's trying to hang on to his or her own little teeny slice. Absolutely. Which I think is, that sort of characterized the independent community for a while in America. I felt like that was kind of a problem. It was like, no, I'm over here being independent. So <laughs> leave me alone. No, yeah, we're, we're, we're totally fine with being lumped in with very, very important companies and, and influential ones as well. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. I think, it, but you know, I think the digital landscape changed everything for everybody. You know, we all, we're all just playing a completely new game now. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's, there's been tons of challenges, you know, over the last five, 10 years when it comes to streaming and the data aspect of things. And, you know, Merlin makes it also really cool and clear that while they are offering direct deals and a record label can go on and, and effectively register directly, what's really good about it is if you're not set up to sort of handle some of these challenges and sort of handle the evolution of kind of like the music industry with streaming, that distributors are still a good option. And, you know, they're very, very gracious and, and open to saying, here's a bunch of folks that you can contact, see who is a good fit for you and grow your business before potentially coming over to us, so to speak, you know? Definitely. So talk a little bit about the nuts and bolts of how it works for you guys. So you have some direct deals via Merlin with DSPs. And then so how do you get paid by those services? We have a combination. A lot of the newer DSPs, particularly that are launching in different territories and or telcos, have yet to strike deals with Merlin. So we may start off working directly with them. But if we do see that Merlin creates a direct deal notice with those DSPs, for example, we will very heavily consider just transferring it to the Merlin deal just because of the convenience aspect and just to kind of keep everything in one roof. Whenever we strike a deal with Merlin, you know, we're not having to chase the DSP, so to speak, for payment or for the reports. So Merlin's awesome finance team kind of like does all that legwork. And then we just get our data in raw fashion, which, you know, some people would have a lot of challenges with that. And, and so do we, but it's great because it's as if the DSP is delivering it directly to us. So effectively, DSP gives Merlin data and the revenue. And every single month, according to Merlin's schedule, they then pay it on down to us. And then we then upload it, put it in our data systems and provide it to our clients for as much transparency and detail as possible. So it's pretty easy. And as far as any of this digital stuff could be said to be easy, yes, because we're talking about hundreds of thousands or millions of lines of data. Yeah, the relationship with Merlin's easy. Doing the data and the reports are is there's definitely challenges there. <laughs> exactly. So now what genres of music does Symphonic specialize in? Yeah, so we traditionally have distributed three core genres. So hip hop, Latin, and electronic music. But you know, to tell you the truth, we accept all genres as long as it's really great music and that we feel we can help elevate the brand and or the individuals behind the brand. We're very selective. That's you know different from other distributors out there that are sort of like the DIY in exchange for 100% of royalties, we would rather accept applications and be able to say that we feel we can actually impact your company or your brand or your artists, et cetera, and, and help kind of provide a marketing engine behind it. So we'll provide playlist pitching for all genres, marketing plans, diagnostics and assessments. If we feel that that's an area of need for any client that is applying, so to speak. Right. And that's not that unusual. I mean, I feel like certainly in the indie rock world, that was always true with certain distributors, you know, kind of seemed to be the place where 
well, if you have a label that sounds like label X, you will go to this distributor because they're, they know how to handle that kind of music. Yeah, I mean, what we're trying to do is we're trying to bring experts across different genres because not only do those experts in the music industry bring their own sort of contacts and, and so forth and help elevate the company, but we really learn how to kind of try to be genre agnostic and create marketing across a, a you know, a wide array of different ones. So it's definitely always a challenge as we start to think a lot about how we want to market Latin records. You know, we're looking a lot into Latin America and how YouTube is so vital there and how the advertising on YouTube is so important there. That's different than it's going to be potentially for a hip hop person in, you know, Brooklyn, for example. So it's interesting to see how kind of like some of the experts that we brought in have just given us different techniques that we've been able to apply for different genres, but it also how difficult it is to just apply like one similar blueprint for every single genre and or territory. Absolutely. I think that's the challenge. Well, Jorge Brea of Symphonic Distribution, thank you so much for being with me today on The Future of What? Absolutely. Thank you. Keep doing what you're doing and props to Merlin as well. Thank you. We're so cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're so cool, cool. We're so cool. Yeah, yeah. Fuck you too, cool was Cool Schmuel by Bratmobile. When Kill Rockstars was looking for someone to take over our fulfillment operation, Merch Table stepped up to do the heavy lifting, moving our entire stock to their warehouse and helping us create merch our fans love. With Merch Table's support, we've been able to focus on the music and artists that matter to us. KRS loves Merch Table. See what they can do for your business at merchtable.com. You're listening to The Future of What? After the show, take a moment to leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. It helps people find the show, and we love hearing from you. Also, check out our short podcast series about Bratmobile's potty mouth. It's called Girl Germs, and you can get it wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to The Future of What? I'm talking to Katie Alberts of Reach Records. 
Katie, welcome to the future of what? Thank you. Glad to be here. Glad to have you. So we are talking today about Merlin. And I want to talk to you guys because you guys are a small independent record label located in Georgia. Mm, That's right. (laughs) And you guys do your digital through Merlin. So for people who are listening who just aren't familiar with what that means, can you just give us a little overview? Yeah, absolutely. So Merlin is the negotiating body for independent labels. So we go through Merlin for our contracts for the majority of our streaming deals. So contracts like Spotify, Pandora, Google, but we do have a combination of direct deals as well. That's important for people to understand that this is an option. So, you know, one way that record labels get their music to market is by having a distributor. Uh And a lot of people have distributors for physical that also do digital distribution. But going direct with Merlin for some or all of your digital distribution is an option. And so you guys are a good example of a label that does that. And you guys are, you started as a gospel label? So we kind of have a spectrum of artists. It depends on the artist. So we have artists that are more in the hip-hop space and artists that exist more in the Christian space as well. So kind of a spectrum depending on which artist it is. That's cool. And that's good to know. I mean, you know, I think every independent label has their own ethic or ethos or whatever aesthetic. So it's kind of cool. Yeah. And Merlin is great because, of course, they've got tons of different kinds of independent labels that just need a solution to get to market. And this is one of them. So do you want to tell us a little bit about how it's been working with Merlin and what the advantages have been for you guys? Yeah, absolutely. For us, when we got introduced to Merlin, it was one of those things that we were like, how do we not know about this before? Right. (laughs) Particularly with our label, we have a, a lot of emphasis on having control over our content. Our artists are very passionate about even things down to like little metadata changes and making sure everything is perfect. So when we were dealing with some difficulties with distributors in terms of really long release times, them having to turn in their music four weeks in advance. That was a constant complaint that we received from our artists. And then also when we're looking at the finances of it, you know, most distributors take a nice cut out of your revenue. And we're a decently sized independent label. We have 15 employees. So when we were coming up to renewing our distribution deal, we thought, why don't we look into what direct would look like, which is when we found out about Merlin and the collective weight of Merlin's negotiating body in order to get us such great deals right. was like a complete game changer for us. So we didn't have to sacrifice the benefits that we had through a, a distributor Yeah, when we were going direct. And in fact, we got to experience a lot more of the benefits because each individual component was being equitably shared from the contracts down to us instead of being absorbed from distributor and then allocated as they saw fit. So for example, having a significant amount of free advertising inventory was a game changer for us. Our artists are super excited about that as well. When we tell them that we can place ads that aren't going to have to come out of their budget is something that just makes them very happy. Can you explain more about how that works? Yeah. So Merlin, when they negotiate without getting into any of the specifics of it, can include all kinds of different benefits with the DSP as a part of the contract. And so one thing that's often negotiated into deals is to give a portion of advertising from a DSP to the person that you're contracting with. And what happens when you have a distributor is they, they're they not under 
any obligation to pass down that benefit equitably by market share. But because Merlin is a nonprofit organization, everything is pro rata. So exactly the amount of inventory that applies to our market share within Merlin is delivered to us. And then we're able to give that directly back to the artists. That's awesome. It's a very cool feature. Yeah, it definitely is. And in addition to that, too, just having so much control over our content, we've been able to do, I mean, we don't recommend this for artists, but we've been able to do uploads within 24 hours. And we've been able to reduce the release timeline significantly as well. And the other real big perk about Merlin for a lot of people is they take a much lower rate because they're a nonprofit. Mm -hmm. Do you want to talk about that? So we did a ton of research before we pulled the trigger on this and a lot of financial analysis behind it too. And Merlin being a nonprofit, if they don't use all of the administrative fee that they're taking, it gets delivered back to the members, which we just think is really, really cool. So when we started running the numbers, we're like, is this right? Could this really be that our overall revenue would increase by this much by switching to direct? Mm -hmm. And it turns out, yeah, what really was right. I remember I did a synopsis of it six months later and the numbers were astounding in terms of the savings that we had from being able to do this in-house even when you included all the costs of the Merlin administrative fee taking on you know analytics for yourself which previously is just provided from a distributor and all the costs of bringing it in-house it, it still was significant business decision wow that's really cool to know so Merlin has now distributed it's second billion dollars. That's what their annual report just reported, which is very exciting. Yes. So yeah, it's it's a healthy business model. It's something that exists as an option for labels to move to in this world. I think 2019 is really providing, you know, I feel like one of the things we're seeing in 2019 is just the sort of explosion of options for distribution of music. And I think that's one of the most exciting things that's currently happening in the marketplace, especially for indies. Mm -hmm. So would you guys like, I know the solution is working for you right now. You guys are, are pretty stoked about it. Mm -hmm. Let's talk for a second about sort of classic distribution, because one of the things I think is so interesting is that when digital became a thing, when there were downloads in the iTunes store, mm -hmm. I feel like distributors jumped on that bandwagon and said, okay, we want to distribute your digital stuff, but we take the same cut for it that we take for physical distribution. Mm -hmm. And at the time it was really like, but what am I getting from you? Like you're, you're not actually doing anything for me for that percentage that you're taking. But the funny thing is the farther we've gotten into this era, I feel like the more and more distributors actually can do for labels, you know, yeah. in, in terms of, well, there's just more to be done. Yeah. Like there's just simply more work to be done in the digital space. I definitely think that it depends on where your business is at and the amount of resources that you have on your in-house staff. When we were going through a distributor, we didn't have any contacts at DSPs. We didn't have any inroads to pitch for playlisting or placements or things like that. And I mean, that is really significant to be able to get that programming. It significantly impacts your sales. So I think if you're in a position where you don't have those contacts, yeah, it can be definitely the right move. Definitely. Alrighty. Well, I appreciate your time, Katie Alberts. Thanks for being with us on The Future of What. Thank you for having me.
blossom its bloom The house that's a tomb Trapped in the rhododendron fumes Bit by the spring Hurt by the thing Plagued by the man That was Thistled Spring by Horse Feathers. And that's our show. The music we played today was used by permission. You heard Dino Fight, Bratmobile, Horse Feathers, and of course, our theme song, Mind Your Own Business by the Delta Five. Subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. For more info on our shows, check out our website at killrockstars.com slash the future of what and sign up for our newsletter. Our program was engineered by Brent Asbury at Beta Petrol and is produced by Will Watts. I'm Portia Sabin, president of Kill Rock Stars. See you next week.